is that in these first two verses, Jesus is speaking to a specific crowd. Uh, It says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So notice, Jesus Jesus isn't primarily teaching to the crowds. He's primarily teaching his smaller group of disciples with the crowds listening in to the teaching he's giving his disciples. And so these crowds are overhearing. We go back to the last verse of Matthew 4, and this is what the crowd was. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. In other words, this was a diverse crowd. It was multi-ethnic, Jews and non-Jews alike, people who didn't normally associate with each other, people who didn't necessarily like each other, were all gathering under a common interest in following Jesus and hearing his teachings. Additionally, when you look through chapter 4, you'll see that many in this group of people were social and economic outcasts. They were the sick and poor, the demon-possessed, people who were living in slums and garbage dumps. And so Jesus looked at this crowd. He saw its diversity. He saw its struggles. Then he addresses his sermon specifically to his disciples. I imagine him teaching his disciples, but addressing and referencing the crowd around him as he speaks. And this is how he opens his sermon. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed. Jesus pronounces nine blessings, nine types of people who are blessed by God in his kingdom. He's using a common word here translated as blessed. It's the Greek word makarios. It can also be translated as fortunate, happy, well-off, or even congratulations. Congratulations, you who are persecuted. Congratulations, you who are poor in spirit. Congratulations, you who mourn. And it's great. Jesus is pronouncing blessings. But who is he saying are going to be blessed in his kingdom? Is it the rich? Is it the healthy? Is it the handsome? Is it the famous who are blessed or the winners who are blessed? No, you're reading this list. A lot of them are the losers. The poor in spirit, meaning people who just have nothing going for them spiritually. Those who mourn, people whose lives have been shattered by circumstance. The meek, those who are quiet and don't impose themselves on others. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice is another word for that, which means someone who's experienced something unjust and hunger and thirst for things to be made right. There's other blessings on the list related to things which are often described as Christian virtues. The merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those are things we're encouraged to become. But sometimes 
people portray these blessings, they're called the Beatitudes. Sometimes people portray them as a, a complete list of virtues that Christians are supposed to pursue in order to become blessed. While you can say that about a few of them, most of these are based on situations you can't control. You've been dealt a bad hand. You've experienced loss. You've been hurt too many times. You've got nothing going for you. You're spiritually empty or economically broke. And Jesus is declaring that there's actually blessings for you. A couple hundred years before Jesus, there was another well-known, influential Jewish teacher who happened to be named Jesus. Uh, it was a common name. It was based off of the name Joshua from the Old Testament, Yeshua. Uh, but his name was Jesus Ben Sirah. And he was, he was well known, and he had some of his teachings written down. And one of his teachings, famously, is a pronouncement of nine blessings. So let's compare and contrast Jesus' blessings to Bizarro Jesus' blessings, okay? Here's what Jesus Ben Sirah says. I can think of nine whom I would call blessed, and a tenth whom my tongue proclaims. Blessed is the man who delights in his children, and the one who lives to see the downfall of his enemies. Blessed is the one who lives with a sensible wife, and one who does not plow with oss and axe together. Blessed is the one who does not sin with the tongue, and the one who does not serve an inferior. Blessed is the one who finds a friend, and the one who speaks to an attentive audience. To be clear, this is not found in the Bible, if you're flipping through looking for it. This is extra-biblical Jewish literature, but it provides an interesting contrast. You can't help but wonder if while Jesus was pronouncing his blessings, he had this list of nine blessings in mind from a few generations before. Jesus ben Sirah pronounced blessings much more in line with what people of his day and even people of our day would think are true blessings. Someone who's got a family and good kids, not wayward children. Someone who sees the downfall of his enemies. You live long enough that your enemies crumble while you have success. Someone who lives with a sensible wife, not a crazy one. How about this? Someone who does not serve an inferior. How terrible would it be and unblessed it would be to have to humble yourself before someone who is lower on the social or an economic ladder than you. And blessed is the one who speaks to an attentive audience preacher's blessing. Or think about it this way. You're blessed if people think you're wise and important enough that they'll listen to you quietly. Anyone who's familiar with the real Jesus looks at this list and thinks, I can't see Jesus saying these things. It doesn't align with his other teachings, but it does sound a lot like what most people today would believe would be a blessing. But Jesus' blessings are a radical reversal. You're not blessed because people think you're important. In fact, it's when people think you're not important that, when you're, blessed in, that you're blessed in Jesus' kingdom. You're not blessed because you've never had to humble yourself. In fact, the more meek and humble you are, the more access you have to blessing. You're not blessed because you've witnessed the downfall of your enemies. In fact, you're blessed when your enemies insult you, when they persecute you, and when they lie about you, and you're blessed when you love them and forgive them anyway. 
You know, Matthew writes his gospel from the perspective of outcasts, from the perspective of those who don't fit in, from those who we think aren't blessed. If you read the introduction to Matthew's gospel, it's like the worst introduction you can imagine. It takes a while before you get to the fun part about the, the angel visiting Mary and she's going she's gonna to be pregnant and give birth to the Messiah. Matthew starts before that. He starts with a genealogy. So-and-so was the father of so-and-so and so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. And most people just skip it and get to the story about Jesus' birth. But if you pay attention to the list of names on that genealogy, you find all kinds of religious, political, and ethnic outcasts. In particular, Matthew lists a whole bunch of women in his genealogy. Women would have not been thought of to have been important enough to be in a genealogy. But in Matthew's mind, this is the ancestry of Jesus. In Matthew's mind, they needed to be a central figure. Listen to the ones he names. He includes Tamar, who was treated unjustly and forced into prostitution. He includes Rahab, who wasn't Jewish. She was a Canaanite. The people that the the Jews were supposed to... uh, they were supposed to conquer and, and send out of the land. She was a prostitute in the, uh, in the city of Jericho. It includes Ruth, who was a Moabite, a great enemy of Israel. It includes Bathsheba, who was taken advantage of by King David, impregnated. She lost the child along with her husband, whom David murdered. So what Matthew is doing is he's highlighting all these family scandals in Jesus' Jesus's ancestry. He's highlighting all the black sheep. He's highlighting all the painful past. In those days, genealogies were so important, you would present them almost like a resume. And just like a resume, you'd be a little bit, you know, creative with how you presented them. You'd highlight the great ancestors. You'd hide the ones that were a little bit scandalous because you wanted to present yourself as well. But Matthew presents all of the family scandals in Jesus's history because he wanted to say something really important. Everyone is welcome in the family of Jesus. And you don't have to be great. You don't have to be powerful. You don't have to have it all put together to be a part of Jesus's family or to be a part of his kingdom. In fact, when the opposite is true of you, there's blessing for you. Matthew himself was an outcast. For unknown reasons, maybe it was simply just out of greed. Matthew, a Jewish man, sided with the Roman authorities and became a tax collector, which was seen as high treason from his own people, he would collect taxes from them and give the money to their oppressors. And so he would have been cast out of his family. He would have lost all his friends. He wouldn't have been allowed in the synagogue. He wouldn't have been allowed in the temple. He would have been a complete exile and outcast from his people. And yet Matthew is standing in the very tax booth he used to betray his compatriots when Jesus walks up and says, Matthew, come follow me. There's blessing for you. Dallas Willard comments about this in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. He says, The Beatitudes are not teachings on how to be blessed. They are not instructions to do anything. They do not indicate conditions that are especially pleasing to God or good for human beings. They single out cases that provide proof that in Jesus, the rule of God from the heavens is truly available in life circumstances that are beyond human hope. There's room in God's kingdom for those we thought there was no room for. Contrary to other bizarro Jesus, 
The Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount are a declaration of an open door. Not everyone will accept the invitation, but the invitation is open to all. God's kingdom is not just open to the elite. He's not just opening it to those who are put together. There's not just an opening for those who have their stuff sorted out. Jesus is announcing that the good news of God's kingdom is truly good news for everyone. As soon as it seems like it could possibly not be good news for someone, that's when Jesus says, no, it is good news for that person. The point of the Beatitudes is to show us, not that we can, uh, it's not just to show us how we can enter the kingdom of heaven. It's to show us that the kingdom of heaven has been opened to all, not by our merit, but by God's grace alone. Now, Jesus isn't preaching some sort of universalism, like everybody's going to go to heaven when they die, no matter what they do or think or believe. And he'll make that more clear later in the sermon. He's saying that your social status, your economic status, your circumstances, what's happened to you, your mistakes, your disabilities, your desirability, none of these things are the defining factor indicating how God feels about you or defining your status in the kingdom. In fact, the worse off you are, the more potential there exists for you to be blessed in God's kingdom. So, talking directly to his smaller group of disciples, he indicates to this large crowd full of many outcasts. He points to the ethnically diverse. He points to the morally questionable. He points to those with various religious backgrounds. Saying basically, do you see this ragtag group that has started to follow me, just like you have? Don't assume that their brokenness, their mistakes, their background, or their struggles and their sins have put a barrier up between them and God that cannot be taken down in order for them to enter the kingdom. Jesus came to knock down all those barriers and open to the door to anyone who will receive his grace. There's one more aspect to blessing I want to cover. When you survey the idea of blessing in the Bible, particularly through the Old Testament, it's a major theme. We talked a bit about it. Uh, in our Genesis series, you notice something really important. God's blessing doesn't just come to you, it comes through you. The purpose of God's blessing is not just for your enjoyment, but the purpose of God's blessing is to flow into your life and through your life to the world around you, to your sphere of influence. When God blesses someone, that blessing is designed to be shared with others. A great example is from God's covenant promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 2 to 3, he says this, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So he blesses Abraham, but the purpose of that blessing is so that Abraham can carry that blessing to the nations around him and that the whole world will be blessed through him. It didn't just come to Abraham, but it came through Abraham to the world. Listen to the comments by N.T. Wright. It's a bit of a longer quote, but I'm sure you can follow along. He says, Blessing is not primarily about what God promises to do to someone. It is primarily about what God is going to do through someone. Blessings are the poor, or sorry, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when God sets up his sovereign rule on earth as in heaven, 
It's the poor in spirit through whom he will do it. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In other words, when God wants to sort out the world, to put it to rights once and for all, he doesn't send in the tanks, as people often think he should. He sends in the meek. And by the time the high and mighty realize what's happening, the meek, because they are thinking about people other than themselves, have built hospitals, founded leper colonies, looked after the orphans and widows, and not least, founded schools, colleges, and universities to supply the world with wise leaders. You see what N.T. Wright is trying to say? In the same way that we misunderstand what it means to be blessed, we often misunderstand what it, mean, what it takes to be a blessing. We think that only the best and the greatest are blessed, and only the best and the greatest could possibly be blessings to the people around them. It's only the, the, the wisest and, and, and wealthiest and most capable that can possibly make a difference in this world. No. That's false in Jesus' kingdom. Isn't it those who've suffered much who often have both the strength and the compassion to comfort those who are suffering? It's not on the list of other Jesus's blessings. But Jesus shows that it's the least who not only are blessed, but can make the most positive impact on the world around them. Those who watch their enemy die are not the ones who make a difference in the world. Those who keep inferiors in their place are not world changers. Those who, it's those who forgive their enemies. It's those who bless their persecutors and do good to those who hate them that change the world in Jesus' mind. Those who humble themselves become a servant of all are the greatest in God's kingdom. And it's those who take all their blessings and look for ways to share them with others that are truly blessed and truly a blessing in Jesus' kingdom. And isn't this the exact point that Jesus illustrates and proves in his own life and ministry? Jesus was born in a nowhere town to a nothing family. He was poor in spirit. He was the victim of injustice after injustice he hungered and thirsted for righteousness. Meek and mild, a man of sorrows, merciful, pure of heart, bringer of peace, persecuted because of his righteousness, lied about, accused falsely, insulted and abused, yet blessed beyond measure and the greatest blessing the world has ever received. The greatest blessing you could ever receive is Jesus. And the greatest blessing you could ever give to someone else is Jesus. The one who lived out these very blessings that he proclaimed for his kingdom. If you have yet to accept his invitation to be a part of the kingdom, I invite you to do that. The door is wide open. He has made room for you. There's nothing that can disqualify you from entering. There's nothing you've experienced that can stop you from coming in. When you say yes to Jesus, his arms are open wide. All he says is, just start following me and I will show you the way of the kingdom. Would you bow your heads with me as the band comes back? Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness.
for your grace, for the love you've shown us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you opened the door for us. Lord, we had nothing to offer, but you've welcomed each person in this room with open arms. So God, reorient our hearts and minds as we consider those outside this room who we would sometimes think couldn't possibly be blessed, couldn't possibly be welcomed. Lord, you pronounce your blessing on the outcast and the outsider. And Lord, I pray that you would also help us to see that the blessing you've poured out into our life is not just for us, but it must be shared. It's come to us, not just to us, but through us to a world who so desperately needs you and desperately needs to understand your love for the world. So come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Show us the way, we pray. Open our hearts as you have opened yours to us, we pray in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for the way you've poured out your presence here. We thank you for your goodness to us. God, we're so thankful, especially on this this weekend of Thanksgiving. So many blessings, God. Help us to not judge others based on their circumstances or their past or their status, but to recognize, Lord Jesus, that you are among the least and you came to seek and save the lost. So God, we just open our hearts to you and say, teach us, show us the way, give us the strength and the courage to live the way you've called us in Jesus' name. And if there's anyone today who has not accepted the invitation to be a part of Jesus' kingdom, now's your time, now's your moment. Just in your heart, and even even out loud, just join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you. You died on the cross for my sins. You have provided a way to salvation and the forgiveness of my sins. I receive that today in Jesus' name. I pray that you would teach me the way of your kingdom and help me to follow after you each and every day. Receive your blessing and share your blessing with the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me. We're going to sing that song as we close called Simple Kingdom. It really just declares the truth of this message that Jesus has for us in the Beatitudes. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come as well. If you want to come and you have a need for prayer today, maybe you feel like you're on this list, that you have been persecuted, or you're mourning, or you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness and justice, whatever it is, and you feel like you're not experiencing God's blessing. Come and have, have one of our prayer team pray with you. Let them encourage you, let them build you up, let them present you to Jesus so that you can see how great his blessings are for you. Let's sing and worship together.